through that book. I want to apologize for not being out shaking hands this morning. I was dealing with technical issues. Um, this is one of those sermons that no pastor likes to preach because inevitably somebody's going to think that you're singling them out, which is another reason I like expository preaching. We just go through the book, and as it comes up, we handle it. You know what I mean? So today we're going to talk about sin and the body and what that means. A man was stopped by the police around 2 a.m., and the officer asked him where he was going, especially being as how late it was. And the man replied, I'm on the way to a lecture about alcohol abuse and the effects it has on the human body, as well as smoking and staying out late. And the officer then asked, really? Who's giving that lecture at this time of night? And the man replied, that would be my wife. <laughs> We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth, written around 50 AD. We know that opposition was fierce there, but the Lord encouraged Paul and said he had many people in the city that he had not seen. And so he stayed 18 months. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Ooh, I hear Bibles turning. I like it. Even though it'll be on the screen too. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. And now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray this morning. Well, Lord, here we are again, looking into your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would touch us in some way today, change us in some way today, touch our hearts for those that would be caught in sin, both in and outside of the church. Lord, we just ask that with the church universal, that you would open blinded eyes again to be able to say, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Word of God. That you would give churches all around this country, all around this world, a high view of Scripture. That it is your Word, that it is sacred, and that it should be put into practice. Not just because it should be, but that it must be put into practice. Lord, forgive us where we fall short. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness, according to 1 John 1 and 9. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. 
Folks, sin today is not seen as a big deal anymore. But it is. Sin is a big deal. And a lot of people say, well, if it's not hurting me, what does it matter? If I mean, if it's not hurting anybody else, what does it matter? Well, sin is a big deal, and it does affect everyone, and should be run away from, and repented of. Don't use our freedom in Christ as an excuse for sin. That's point one. Don't use freedom in Christ as an excuse for sin. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, and I'll read out of the New Living Translation for this one. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. The thing we've got to remember about here is that He's not talking to those outside the church. He's talking to those inside the church that are in these particular sins, specific sin that He brings up. Remember, not too long ago, we talked about the man in the church that had his own his own. Uh, father's wife, and we talked about how bad that was, and so Paul is revisiting that. He's concluding this section of the letter and moving on to the next section. Now, during this time, many Christians were using the slogan, all things are lawful for me. Remember, they're coming out of Judaism and all the legalism that that had at this time, and so their slogan was, all things are lawful for me. And so Paul uses that. And this truly is the case when it comes to matters of eating meat, sacrifice to idols, or when it comes to a long list of legalism even today. This is not true as it pertains to sin, though. This is not true as it pertains to sin. It had become a slogan to do whatever one pleases. Specifically, Paul was writing about and referring to the sexual immorality of the Corinthian church. To say that all things are permissible, including sin, would bring us into the bondage of sin. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. You don't believe me? Look around. There's testimonies all over this church and all over every other church about how sin will grab you and keep you. Don't let it. We have an epidemic today in most churches across America where, we have re- where they have redefined what things truly are. You know, today in America, and especially the, the American church, we no longer call it adultery. We call it an affair. We no longer call it gossip. We call it a prayer request. We laugh at that because we know it's true. <laughs> we no longer call it sin. We call it a mistake. No longer do we call things what they truly are. And why is that? Have you ever wondered? Because that might offend someone and make them leave our churches. Well, you know what? Call it what it is. Let it be what it is. And let them leave if that's what they want to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. 
We have unsaved, unregenerate people sitting in pews across America who don't get offended over the gospel because it's so watered down they don't even know what they should be offended about. God loves you. Great. Will you tell me the rest of it? Nope, because you might get offended. God loves you enough that he won't leave you in your sin. He will take you out of it. Why would you go back like a pig to slop? 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8 says, Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Matthew 10, 22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You are going to suffer if you belong to him. And in this day and age, you're going to suffer more and more as the day approaches. All around the world, there are Christian martyrs happening. We don't hear about it. Why? Because Christianity is something we don't want to discuss in the mainstream media. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Remember that. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. There are too many people who go and start a church but do not care about the gospel. You see, they're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching self-help. They're preaching, uh, you know, I can have what I say. I can, I can give and get back. And that's selfishness. That's not about serving. They're looking for people to come give them a pat on the back. Or in some cases, they want to be worshipped themselves when they start these churches, so-called churches. You know what it reminds me of? Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts. Now Simon was a warlock and he heard the word of God and he burned all his books. And it seemed like he got saved. He looked good on the outside, but he didn't. He tried to buy from Peter the power to lay hands on people and receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, may your money perish with you. Let's look at that real quick. We know Simon was seeking power and adoration over other people. He was used to it what he liked. Acts chapter 8 verse 9, real quickly, and I'm going to move quick, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, As he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Jump down to verse 18, it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, 
because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. And Simon replied, For I see that you are, a, are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. He didn't get it. Why didn't he pray to the Lord? Why didn't he ask for forgiveness? Secondly, your sin, let's make it personal, my sin, your sin, hurts everyone. It does. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take this body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, as a Christian, the sin that you will to do actually hurts the body of Christ, not just you. Your spiritual journey is not only affected when you sin, but the local body of believers are affected as well. And some of you are going, how is that? Well, when you sin, you remove yourself from being effective in the kingdom of God. You're focused on your sin, not on kingdom building, not on evangelizing those around you, not on spreading the gospel of Christ, not on sharing spiritual beliefs and concepts with a world that is dying and going to hell. You're more worried about your pet sin. You love your sin. You pet it. Oh, good sin. I love my sin. No. Your mind becomes in a dark place when you're in sin. You're also setting a bad example for those that are not saved from sin. You have marred your witness for Jesus Christ. They think, why should I go to the church? They're just as bad as I am. I don't need the drama. You ever noticed that sin is inherently you-focused, me-focused? It's not about others, but about your selfish desires. Sin makes a person selfish. Why? Because that is the weakness in all humanity. If I can get you to focus on your favorite person, which is you, then you aren't focusing on Jesus. You're not focusing on His work, on His salvation for the person next to you. You're not focusing on the body of believers. You're focusing on you. You see, we're all needed in the body of Christ, which is the local church. Now, we'll get there later, so I'll only be brief to touch on what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, 
And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. And while the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony amongst the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Folks, when you sin, it hurts the church of God. And I don't mean just the local body here. I mean all of the church. You have taken the gifts and the callings of God which God has placed in you and you have said, I'm not going to use it for God's purposes. I'm too busy in my own stuff. Hmm. That's a hard one. Next, we're to flee sin and honor God. I didn't say fleece, I said flee. And I don't mean the type you get off a dog's back. Flee sin and honor God. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That's an interesting comment about this particular sin, isn't it? Many people have thought that this is talking about disease. And there certainly is an aspect in the teaching there. However, that's not what's in view here. What is in view is our spirituality. That which we are bound to spiritually which we make ourselves bound to. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular... So love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This union, this joining of the two, Paul says, is a great mystery. Because it's not just physical, it's not just mental, there's a spiritual component. And then Paul here says that he's also speaking about the unity of the church with Christ. Marriage is a sacred union that's to be honored, cherished, and protected. In doing so, you protect yourself. Take that great mystery that Christ has given and take yourself possibly physically, but definitely spiritually with sexual immorality is a wickedness, a great wickedness that we overlook today. 
Why? It's on TV everywhere. It's all around us. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because you are hurting yourself. When a spouse steps out on the other, they entangle themselves in emotions with the other person. They're no longer themselves, just by themselves, but they have become part of each other. Even if the adultery ends, they will never be the same person again. Can they be redeemed? Oh, you bet they can. It's a lot of hard work. Oh, yes, it is. Will they ever be the same? Nope. Nine times out of ten, when a spouse steps out, commits a sin, they'll be separate. Why? Because they are now joined, albeit in a counterfeit, wicked way, to the other person. Sexual immorality is so pernicious because, amongst other things, it changes who we are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This is why it's called the sin against the body. It strikes at the core of who we are and whose we are. And it hurts the body of Christ as well. Because now, instead of serving God, you have to work on redemption. You have to not only repent, but you've got to ask God to redeem what you've done, to redeem you, to make you new, and you have to work through those consequences. The whole body has to. How many churches have been split over adultery? Maybe not even the pastor. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe it's just a layperson with great um, power in the church or, or great respect in the church. That church is never the same again. Even if later they become the biggest church ever, they're still missing parts of the body, which are no longer there. It's never the same. Paul does remind us, though, that even if we want to commit our bodies to sin, which is our very beings to sin, whatever that sin may be, but especially sexual immorality, we are not permitted to do so. It is not your body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God bought you body, mind, and soul for a price. You are His slave, and you do not belong to yourself. Would you do such a terrible thing in the physical presence of Jesus? No? Then why do you do it when you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is God? Good, uh, good book to read by John MacArthur is called Slave and what that meant during that time. You could put yourself into slavery and you may get a better life out of it, but guess what? You're no longer your own. You don't get to do what you want to do. You don't get to eat when you want to eat. It's all based on your master. So why would we think any less of Christ? And if you do commit this sin, you're, you're doing it in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is inside you. By the way, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He is a person, not a force. He is the third in the Trinity. He is God. So what does He command of you? To glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's what Paul said. 
glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Sin, if you remember nothing else, is a big deal. It needs to be dealt with at every level. It's such a big deal. James said, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now, does that mean we need to go around telling everybody every little thing? I believe that as public as the sin is, is as public as the confession should be. For example, every church I've ever been to, except maybe this one, there's been somebody that inevitably a deacon will go, don't tell sister so-and-so unless you want the whole church to know. And by the way, it's going to get messed up by the time it gets back to you. Y'all laughing because you know it's true. That kind of thing needs to be confessed of publicly because the sin was public. Glorify God not only in your body, but the body of Christ because you belong to Him. Glorify God in your spirit. Sin's a big deal. It affects everyone and should be run away from. I'm reminded of Joseph in the book of Genesis who was sold into slavery and Potiphar's wife who chased him. But he fleed. He ran from sexual immorality. So much so that she made up a story and got him tossed into prison. That doesn't happen anywhere today in America, does it? Flee sexual immorality. As the ladies come, and sing, come to prepare to sing. Um, you know, everything I said today sounds really weird. Unless you're a Christian. You don't get it. What's so great about being a Christian? There's a lot of things about being a Christian that's great. Number one, Jesus. You ever heard that song, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime? Jesus when the sun goes down. That's what it's about, Jesus. He came to set the sinner free of sin. We talk about saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin and the consequences of it. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived 30 years, lived, did three years of signs, wonders, and miracles, and he died on a Roman cross that he should not have. For your sin, for my sin. It is effective. Being saved from that will change you. If it doesn't, then you really never knew him. You can come to know him today whether it's here in this church or podcast or streaming, which we do in the back. You need Jesus. He's not an option. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You ever seen these ridiculous coexist bumper stickers? That only works if you actually don't believe in any of it. 
Because Christianity is exclusive. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion where the people worship somebody who has been murdered? For your sins. The only religion that doesn't require you to do really anything. For it is by grace you are saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. All you got to say is, Jesus, help me. Because it's not what you say, but the intent of your heart. He said, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. You see, that was a big deal. In the Roman Empire, they had, they had Caesar worship. And if you confess Jesus as king and not Caesar, oh, well, you would be beheaded. That's a big deal. That's why they didn't like the Christians, because we wouldn't worship their gods, and we wouldn't worship Caesar. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you'd like that life, Call out to Him today. If you don't know Him, get to know Him. If you'd like me to pray with you, I can introduce you, but I can't save you. Jesus does that. If you'd like to join this church today by letter, by statement, by baptism, you can do that too. I'll be up here. We'll also have special prayer. But when we think about our sins as well, for those of us that are saved, now's probably a good time to, you know, as we sing, kind of think about it and repent of it so that we can be at our top efficiency for Christ. As we stand and sing, Miss Joe.